1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, Mike McCarthy, former head coach of the Green Bay Packers, isn't going to coach next year. Should we feel bad for him? I don't know. Maybe give him a little break. Well, yeah, yeah, especially, especially since he was fired with a year left on his contract, which means the Packers owe him about $6 million. So, now... (laughs) Uh, let's put it in that perspective. All right. If somebody said to you, tell you what, Melissa, you, you get you get a year to kind of just be with your family and hang out and do whatever you want to do, and we're going to give you $6 million, you'd probably say, where do I sign up? You've got to be a happy camper yeah, well, there, yeah. Exactly. So I'm, by the way, a Mike McCarthy fan, and I, I don't quite understand. Apparently only took one interview, and that was with the New York Jets, and they went another direction but um it's not the end of the world he for anybody who says oh it's too bad mccarthy's not coaching next year he's going to be collecting six million dollars while sitting on a beach somewhere or as a commentator on espn or or whatever so don't feel too sorry for coach mccarthy hey two comments on on stories out of the world of sports um you can by the way follow me it's it's on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 and one of the things i do is i'm trying every day i've been good so far this is part of my new year's resolution of sending out a bunch of tweets to kind of highlight some of the things that we're going to be talking about on the program but every once in a while there are just amazing things that occur that inspire me to take to Twitter on, on other stuff. And one of those was last night. Gru, were you watching basketball at all last night? Did you see the Marquette game? All right, you say no. All right, well, all right, so Marquette has had a very, very good year. They are undefeated at home, but they've been struggling on, on the road. They went to Indiana in preseason, got blown out. They went uh, the start of the Big East Conference. They went to... Um, St. John's played St. John's. They got blown out. So those were their their true road. Those were their only two true road games. I mean, they played a number of neutral court games as well. But they they've lost both of them. So last night they go to Creighton. Creighton is a Big East team, and Creighton uh, preseason predictions were that Creighton, who was very good a few years ago, they were predicted to finish like ninth out of the out of the ten teams in the uh, Big East. So it, it's. Yeah. I, all anybody can beat anybody on a given night, but Creighton is not necessarily a Big East powerhouse. So anyhow, the game was at Creighton, but Marquette has really, really struggled on the road. So the game was at 6 o'clock. I, I was watching the game on television, and I'm doing kind of other stuff. And throughout most of the game, Marquette was trailing. And it, my, my wife and I, she came in. She's become a Marquette fan as well. So we're watching the last few minutes, and, and Marquette was making a comeback. They never led the entire game, um, at, at least until what happened happened. But they were kind of hanging around. So it, it's, it's the end of the game. And by the end of the game, I mean there's a couple seconds left in, in the game. They're behind by five points. And it's one of those where you figure, okay, that this, this game is over, but... I'm not going to turn it off, in, in part just because I was probably too lazy to get up and grab the remote. So one of the Marquette players throws in a layup. So it's a three-point game. There's one second left on the clock. Creighton has the ball. There's one second left on the clock. Now, at this point in time, you pretty much figure this game is over. Well, what happens was one of the most amazing and bizarre finishes that I've seen in a long time. And it's why... 
It's why watching sports catches your attention, because no matter how many basketball games or baseball games or football games that you go to, every once in a while you see something that you have never seen before in your life. What happens? Now, keep in mind, there's one second left on the clock. All all you have to do is essentially inbound the ball. Somebody touches it. Boom. That second is going to run off. That's all you have to do. All right, the guy under the Creighton basket, he's under the Creighton basket, he goes to throw a pass, and instead of throwing it to somebody like real near him, he throws this pass, he aims it for a Creighton player that's at center court, which, you know, on one hand, you don't think it's necessarily that bad idea. Let's get the ball as far away as we possibly can. All somebody has to do is touch it, and the the game is going to be over. So he's under the Creighton basket. He throws the ball, but he throws the ball too high. He throws it over everybody's head, and the ball, you know, goes out of bounds at the other end of the court. Nobody has touched it. And so as a result, I mean, the way that it works is that the clock doesn't start running until somebody touches it. So he's thrown it out of bounds all the way at the other end of the court. Nobody's touched it, so no time comes off the clock, and it becomes Marquette's ball under the Creighton basket. Okay, huge error, but there's still three points down, no timeouts left, and one second left on the clock. All right, so... What are they? And then in one of this amazing things, somehow one of their players, Sam Hauser, who's a very, very good player, he somehow gets open. The Marquette player under the basket chucks the ball way outside on the court. Hauser gets it and in kind of one motion throws the ball up and it goes in for a three point shot. It, it it goes in now that you know the referees have to look at this. There was like about a five minute delay as they're watching this, trying to determine whether or not the ball left the guy's hands before that that one second ticked off. And they said it did. I think it probably did. The bigger complaint was, I think, would have been maybe. Did, did he have it for actually more than a second? How long did it take the clock operator to really start the clock? But but regardless. Ball leaves his hands, it goes in, he makes this like 35-foot miracle shot, and the game is tied. Marquette goes on to win it in overtime. I, I sent out this tweet yesterday. You have the call? This is Homer's? Okay, here's the call. Got it. Oh, oh it's from the TV call. Okay, all right. They got a shot. Marcus Howard inbound. Howard gets it in. Sam Hauser. I, I, it, 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 again, it's, I, here, here's the tweet I sent out last night. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I said, I've been watching Marquette basketball games since the Al McGuire days, and the comeback against Creighton has to be one of the most amazing games I have ever seen. I mean, it's just, and, and again, it, it's one of these reasons why people are attracted to sports because you, you just, Never know. Like mo- most games are ordinary, and they kind of go according to Hoyle. But every once in a while, you see that thing that you've just never seen—that completely unpredictable thing—and it was just an, an absolutely amazing game. And uh, so that they end up with the win. And, and you want to talk about—I mean, tough losses. Wow. I mean, that's one where how how does you know how does as a team how does Creighton come back from something like that but just an absolutely uh, amazing game all right the other story from the world of sports that you have to you know mention is the the brewers there's no question about it and 
you know, I, I remember when when Mark Atanasio first bought the team, and I can remember my first couple conversations with him, and it was very, very clear that this was a guy who, a really smart businessman, but he didn't buy the Brewers just to, like, buy the Brewers. I mean, just to have the glory of owning a team. He was he was in it to win. And you've seen this on multiple occasions when they've had a chance to when they've had a chance to make the big deal to, to go and get into the playoffs or, or whatever, they've been willing to spend the money and, and they've done things like that. So there's a very, very good team and it's very apparent to me that the Brewers the organization thinks that they're they've got what it takes to win a World Series in Milwaukee. Wouldn't that be something? And so yesterday uh, they signed the, a one-year deal with the former catcher for the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, Jasmani Grandel, who they're going to pay him eighteen million dollars, make him the highest-played player on the team, just one year. Grandel was. He was the catcher that got benched during the, the playoff series between the Dodgers and the Brewers because he had a couple passed balls and had a, he had a really, really bad series. And he's actually had two, two years in a row. He's really had bad, bad playoff series. But he's one of the best hitting catchers in Major League Baseball. And that's, that's always, that was a problem the Brewers had last year. The catcher is just, as a general rule, through 162 games, weren't hitting. They said that despite the past balls and stuff, the guy's got an above-average arm, and he's clearly, I, I think, an upgrade, and that's no disrespect to the catching staff that the Brewers had before, but that was one of their weak positions, and they've spent uh, $18.25 million, signed a one-year deal with the guy. He apparently turned down like a four-year, $60 million offer from the New York Mets, couldn't end up doing better than that, so he's going to be a brewer for eighteen point two five million. I I think it's a a good move, um, despite the fact that he had some problems at the end of last year. But to me, what is so encouraging is it shows that again, this is a Brewers organization that is in it to win it, and it's exciting as we're about thirty some days before uh, pitchers and catchers report for spring training. All right, so good news from the world of sports on two fronts. When we come back. Want to talk about one of the most controversial things that the old DOT was in love with? Will the new DOT be equally in love with them? Stick around. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Marquette down three. Marquette will inbound along the baseline. They have a chance. Point eight left. The ball with the length of the floor, not touched by anyone. For the intentional foul. Howard will inbound. He throws back to Sam Hauser. He'll try a three. Got it. Good. He got it. He got it. We're going overtime. This is unbelievable. <laughs> now, McDermott wants to see a check to see if it if it counted. I think it did. And it did. 12-21. I, I, I will tell you, again, that's, that is one of the reasons why you watch sports. Because no matter how many times you've been to a basketball game, you will sometimes see a finish that is just absolutely amazing. And you can apply that to football and baseball and all the other sports as well. And that Marquette game was certainly one of those last night. All right. In many states, including Wisconsin, when... The Department of Transportation, or the equivalent in the other state, when they're looking at making road improvements, the default position has become 
let's put in a roundabout. Now, everybody knows what a roundabout is, right? I mean, the, the conventional intersection, You let's say you've got two roads that are coming in, and the conventional intersection would be you have a, a traffic light or you have a, a stop sign or a yield sign or something like that. So let's say you've got a situation where you've got one road that's east-west and one road that, that's north-south. You have uh, a stoplight or stop signs or whatever that are there. That regulates traffic. The idea being people moving in one direction will have the right of way. People uh, moving in the other direction, people moving crosswise, that is, won't. Okay, so that's the thing. Roundabouts, of course, aren't like that. Roundabouts, the idea is there's yield signs, but everybody keeps moving. So there is the circular thing. You pull into the roundabout, and then you've got two or three different places you can exit the roundabout, and you're always supposed to yield and be paying attention. Right now in Wisconsin, we have over 400 roundabouts. And it's been, in my opinion, kind of the default position. Now, the Department of Transportation says, well, we don't automatically put in roundabouts like some places do. We try to look at, at every different intersection and we consider what the needs are. But there's been a lot of roundabouts that have been built. Roundabouts cost less to build than a typical Intersection. I mean, at, on average, and again, it's going to depend on where you are, but on average, and, and roundabout costs between a quarter million and five hundred thousand dollars to build, two hundred fifty to five hundred thousand dollars. The studies generally find that in roundabouts, you have more fender benders than you do at conventional intersections. And it's easy to see why, because people are always merging and nobody exactly knows how you're doing this. So you have more fender benders, but you have significantly fewer fatal or extremely serious automobile collisions. Now, if you think of why why is that? Well, it's because when you're going into the roundabout, you... You're generally not going to be in a position to broadside. First of all, you're going to be going. You're going to be slowing down, as a general rule. And secondly, you're not going to be in a position to broadside another car. Whereas, let's take an example where you've got the, the typical intersection that's controlled by a, a stoplight. You have somebody that's driving 50 miles, 40 miles an hour blows through a red light and smashes into the side of somebody's car, well, the chances of that leading to a fatality or a serious type of injury are much greater than somebody who's going 15 or 20 miles an hour or less who, you know, bumps into the back side of your car. So, again, the, the numbers tend to say more fender benders than at traditional intersections, but when there is a collision, it is a lot less significant and severe. All right, so that's a way of backing into this. There's a story in the Journal Sentinel. Hales Corners official wants to make the village's new roundabout more attractive. Um, and the village president, apparently they've got this new roundabout um, in Hales Corners, east of Highway 100, where Forest Home Avenue meets Janesville Road. It was created last year, and apparently it's it's just grass. And um, now the the village president is saying, this kind of looks ugly. Maybe what we should do is we should decorate this and make it a more attractive roundabout. There are some people who think that that's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. We have a new governor who's going to be appointing a new head of the Department of Transportation. 
And this is where I want to start our discussion today. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Roundabouts, love them or hate them. Have we built too many in the state of Wisconsin? Do we need to start moving away from this and going back to more of traditional sort of intersections? Or is this the wave of the future? Do you want to see more roundabouts being built when we do road construction? Would you like to see fewer roundabouts being built when we rework intersections? Should they be roundabouts or should they be the conventional things? The conventional ones cost more money, but I think they're a lot more familiar to people. All right, roundabouts, love them or hate them. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Over the last few years, there's been an explosion of, of building roundabouts in in work work areas, not just in Wisconsin, but but all across the, the country. Typically, they're, t- they're cheaper to build than a conventional uh, intersection where you've got stop signs or you've got uh, you know red lights or the, the stop lights. Also, the, the numbers are pretty clear. In roundabouts, there tends to be more collisions, but they, they tend to be of the fender bender type because typically you're going slower and you're, you're not as likely to, for example, smash into somebody broadside. You're going to hit the back of the car, the front of the car, whatever, and you're going to be going at a lower speed. So there's more fender benders, but there's dramatically fewer serious accidents. You know, like you would get if, that my example was somebody blows a red light at, you know, 45, 50 miles an hour and slams full speed into somebody who has the right of way and you smash into the side of the car. That doesn't happen in roundabouts. Is that a justification? And should we reconsider roundabouts right now that there's a new head of the Department of Transportation? Jeff in Waukesha. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, I would say when these roundabouts first came out, it drove me crazy. Um, I didn't care for them at all. But I have to admit, the more that I drive and the more everybody gets used to them, I find them a lot more convenient. I find them a lot more safe. Um, when you say convenient, what do you mean? I, I, I get safe, but when you say convenient, what do you mean? Well, how many times have we all pulled up to a stoplight that just sits there on red and there's nobody around right. and you're sitting there for minutes going, what, you know, right, yeah, right, move. right, <laughs> right. So that's, that's, that's huge. You can just keep moving. I agree. Like, I think the guy that texted you about the Moreland one, that was, that can get a little crazy at times. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I take that quite a bit. And once you're used to them, like I said, it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. they're very convenient and, and much safer. Like you said, you're not getting T-boned at right. Your right. Exactly. Yeah, right. It, you, you might have a, you might have a collision, but it's going to be at 15 miles an hour and they're going to hit, you know, your back bumper or your front bumper or the side of your car. Yeah. Thanks for calling. No, there, there's no question. And that's, that, that's, I mean, the statistics are, are in and it's very, it's very, very clear. More collisions, but of a much less dramatic result. The number of fatalities goes down dramatically. The number of serious injuries goes down dramatically. The number of fender benders goes up, which makes sense, I guess, if you think about it. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we'll go to um, Karen in Mequon. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Karen. Um, I I hate them. (laughs) Okay. Only because people don't know how to use them yet. 
I mean, I had one lady stop right in front of me, and she was yielding, but there was nobody there to the left of her, and she just stopped, and I, right. I almost barreled right in the back of her. Right, yeah, there there are people who kind of freak out, and, and there's a couple roundabouts that I go through all the time, and you can always tell that they, they treat the yield sign like a stop sign, regardless right. of whether or not stuff is coming, and they just kind of freeze, yep. Right, yep. and and is it to keep to keep the um, traffic moving? Right, isn't that yeah yeah the it, point of it? Yeah, I, I guess the question is, is it something that the right now there's around 400 roundabouts in the state of Wisconsin. So there's some people who probably don't run into these on a regular basis. It, right. it, as we get more of them, do you think people will understand more and more how you drive in them, and maybe people will like them better? They might, but you know what? Another thing I don't like about them, there's too many too close together, yes. like you had said. Yeah. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Don't put, um, you yes. know, one every two feet. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, no, th- thanks. For, I mean, I do think... Uh, see, I, I'm kind of I'm I, I don't somebody, somebody said I was being spineless on an issue yesterday. It's not spineless. I mean, I, I think I understand the good parts of roundabouts. I, I think there, there's two things that have to go on, though. I think, number one, in the really heavily used traffic areas where there, there's lots and lots of traffic, I think those are ones where roundabouts should. Well, I, I don't know that they're the best when there's really, really heavy traffic because of exactly what people are talking about. Secondly, I, I don't think they should be stacked. I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't. And there's a couple areas, um, one in Ozaki County, one in Washington County, that I, I, I know that I drive occasionally, and they're just stacked. There's one after another, and you're going from one into another. I think that's a bad idea. It, it's just a recipe for not only confusion, but a recipe for people getting stuck in these and having to go the wrong turns. Third, I think particularly in areas where you know there's going to be a lot of truck traffic, you, you've got to figure out a way to maybe make the lanes a little bit wider because you know, trying to navigate a, a truck through this roundabout is a real challenge. 414-799-1620. So I'm not anti-roundabout. I, I'm, I'm not. But at the same time, I think you got to be careful where you put them in. And I don't think that they are this automatic magic bullet for all the traffic problems. Does that mean that they don't have a role? No, I, I don't say that at all. Let's talk to James in Pewaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon. Um, I'm not sure I need to start this way, but where you get your statistics from. But the National Highway Traffic Institute, Safety Institute, did a study, a 27-state study, thousands and thousands of roundabouts versus traditional four-way stop signs and intersections. And not only were fatalities, they, they were down 300%. Yep. Collisions in general, in general, meaning a vehicle contacting another vehicle, are 35 40% less. They, any type of collision is significantly reduced with a roundabout. And in my experience, I've driven in dozens of states for more miles than I care to admit to. There seems to be something about Wisconsin, and, and, and perhaps it's the the more recent introduction of them, where this, this the simplicity of this is just lost. And as your callers have already alluded to, people stopping and just not simply understanding the, the, the basic structure of these. I mean, anything, any tool can be, you know, improperly implemented. But in, 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 the, in the proper situation, there's absolutely no dispute that there's a superior solution to certainly four-way stops and a lot of times intersections where... There's no light to charge. There's no waiting with, with lower to mild traffic. But 
I would just I would advise that um, I, I can tell you for certain that they're, they're no, no question they're safer and more efficient than four-way stop signs. Well, James, thanks for calling. I'll tell you the study I'm looking at. I, I'm looking at one that was funded by the Department of Transportation that was done by <clears throat> the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Now, it's a couple years old, but what it says is that studying Wisconsin's roundabouts, fatal Let's see, fatal and severe injury crashes have decreased nearly 40% at Wisconsin's oldest roundabouts. However, crashes overall at roundabouts have increased by 12%. And again, this is Wisconsin, and it's a study funded by the Department of Transportation. And then it goes on to make the points that we both just made. Roundabouts are effective at decreasing fatal crashes because they take right-angle crashes out of the equation and decrease speed. However, and this is the Department of Transportation study, roundabouts more often see side swipes and rear-end crashes, and these are typically not as serious. And I, I will tell you that that's the Wisconsin numbers, a study I'm looking at, and it makes intuitively it, it makes sense to me. Again, you're not going to have as severe an accident, but you know it's more likely that you're going to have people since they're merging into each other. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jane on the South Side. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jane. What do you think? Hi, I want to call and say that my husband is a semi driver. And I know you were mentioning about that they're too small. Right. Semis, semis must use the outer lane of the roundabout. But because they are so long, their trailer will track into the inside lane. And by law, automobiles must yield to them. Right. So people need to not try to jet past those semis because... They're right. doing the best they can. Well, right, and if you look at a lot of the roundabouts, it's the the, the lanes are narrow. <laughs> you know, and if you're if you're trying to drive an eighteen wheeler, you're you're it, it's a it's a challenge even for the best drivers because the lanes are narrow and you've got to take that you've, you've got to take those those sudden turns and stuff, especially if you're trying to make speed. So, and and you're right, you're supposed to yield to the trucks. Now, when I get in round trucks, because the trucks are bigger than me, I just inherently yield. Period. <laughs> So, well, th- you, you'd be surprised how many people are idiots around semis. They'll uh, cut them <laughs> off and don't realize that that's 80,000 pounds having to try to stop to not roll over you. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Jane. I appreciate it. Here's a text. Uh, Jeff, I used to live in Massachusetts. They were called rotaries, and the driver entering huh, had the right of way. In Wisconsin, the driving, driver entering has to yield, which is, is correct. It has been a difficult transition for me. Huh, that's interesting. Would it be easier if you're in the thing and then you have to yield to people coming in? I don't know one way or another. Huh, let's talk to uh, Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. You like roundabouts? You a fan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially, I got, there's uh, four of them that I have to go through frequently out in, outside west, west of Waukesha on 18 and, and 83, which is a very crowded roadway, 59 and 83, which is a very crowded roadway, and then um, 83 going into the Guanacle. There's two more there. Okay. And um, they're used to, every time there was an accident, especially on 59 and 83, it, it wound up being fatal. I mean, nine times out of ten. And the thing is, is the one on 18 and 83, you'd be bet when they had lights, you'd be backed up through four cycles of, of the thing. I mean, it would literally go like a mile and a half back. Right. Now you just kind of cruise on through. The thing is, what I don't understand, because we have this, we, we talk about this all the time, it's like, 
How can people drive through construction zones if they can't handle a roundabout? <laughs> this is not that hard. Yeah. I mean, it's really not that difficult. If there's, you know, if there's somebody coming to your left, you know, you yield to them. End of story. It's right. easy to go. And you don't have to stop. You don't have to do anything if there's nobody there. And then I also was talking with an engineer when they were building the one out by, out by me. And um, I asked him, I said, what's it to do with the hump in the center? And he said, well, the reason it's a hump is so that drivers coming – Let's say from from the north, don't get distracted from people coming from the south, but yet from the east and the west, they can see cars. You know, they can see the cars coming that are actually in the roundabout. So that's why they have that hump in there. Uh, interesting. No, thanks. I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of picture. I, I'm trying to picture that. Um, I I, haven't, I don't. I guess I don't have an issue with the hump. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I was the village president of Hales Corners, I wouldn't be spending a lot of taxpayer dollars on on beautifying the roundabout because it's one where you, you want you know form to be important, not fashion. I I think it's going to be curious. I think roundabouts are here to stay, and I certainly, like I was saying earlier, I wouldn't argue that you know we we shouldn't we shouldn't use them. I do think that sometimes you have some of these road planners that fall in love with them. They put them too close together to each other, and that in particular, it's like you go from one to another, and uh, I, I run into that from time to time. And frankly, people who aren't familiar with the area or hit it at night or whatever, uh, a lot of times they get completely and totally confused. Is there a role? Yeah. Do I think that you need to look at each case on a case-by-case basis? Yes, as well. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Another horrible story involving just completely senseless loss of life on the roads. It's nothing to do with roundabouts. But for for parents out there, may, maybe this is another teachable moment to just to, to talk about this story with your kids and, and explain to them the, the impact that a split-second decision can make. Here's the story, if you if you haven't uh, heard about it, just, it happened last night. 17-year-old Sheboygan boy died after being ejected from the back seat of a van involved in a high-speed chase with a Manitowoc County Sheriff's deputy early Thursday morning. Okay, here, here's what happened. One fifteen in the morning. Deputy observes a 2013 Chrysler Town & Country van speeding southbound on County Highway LS near County Highway X in the town of Centerville. All right, the deputy, so you see this speeding van, 1.15 in the morning. The release said the deputy attempted a traffic stop of the van, but the van flees. All right, so now, again, late at night, it's 1.15 in the morning. A van, you have the sheriff's deputy that sees this van driving like a bat out of you know where, tries to pull it over, and the van flees from the officer. Moments later, the driver loses control of the van, trying to negotiate a curve south of Highway X. The van enters the West Ditch, overturns, and collides with a tree. 17-year-old boy was a passenger in the back seat of the van. He presumably was not wearing a seatbelt or shoulder harness. He was ejected and was pronounced dead at the scene. So he's thrown from the car. He dies. 17-year-old boy dead. Here's again the, the dazzling detail, which is another teachable moment maybe. The driver, a 15-year-old girl from Sheboygan, a 14-year-old girl who was a passenger 
were trapped inside the van and removed by the jaws of life. They were taken to a Sheboygan hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. In contrast to the 17-year-old who's dead, the, the girls were wearing seatbelts, which, again, is, you know, we, we talk about this periodically on, on the program. I understand there's people who say, I don't like to wear seatbelts, and I, I know somebody who knows somebody who had a cousin who was involved in an accident, and if they were wearing a seatbelt, they'd be dead. I, I acknowledge that that might happen on freakish occasions, but in, in general, you know, seatbelts and shoulder harnesses protect you because what happens a lot of times is you end up, like in this case, the reason somebody dies is they're thrown from the, the vehicle. Uh, the sheriff's office said a preliminary investigation shows the van was being driven without the owner's permission. Now, I don't know if it was a stolen car or if it was, you know, one of their parents' cars or or whatever. And the speed was estimated to be in excess of 80 miles an hour. Uh, The sheriff's department says speed and driving inexperience are believed to be contributing factors in the crash. But the bottom line is there's a 17-year-old boy who's dead as a result of this. Now, if you want to go back, and one of the fair questions is, I mean, there's so much wrong with this. All right, this is... Unless I'm wrong, today is a school day. All right, th- this is last night at one fifteen in the morning. What in the world is a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old girl and a 17-year-old boy doing out at one fifteen in the morning on a joyride, you know, driving some vehicle, you know, at a high rate of speed? I mean, that's, that's of course, one of the issues. And, and then you have this other issue where – Everybody seems to think they're invulnerable, and the the classic response is, there's the police, ha, 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 I'm going to pull away, and I'm going to flee from them. Now, some people might look at this and say, well, this is an example of why the police shouldn't chase. I mean, nuts to that. I mean, I don't think that – I'm sure the sheriff's deputy, for example, didn't know – that this was a van that was driven without the owner's consent by some 14 or 15 year old girl. All the sheriff's deputy knows is, hey, I see a van, you know, driving 80 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour or whatever. It's going way too fast. I'm going to try to pull it over. And then the van tries to get away. And, and then, of course, you have this tragic situation. So th- there, there's no real silver lining here, but maybe the conversation to have with kids is, look, this, First of all, it's one fifteen in the morning. Parents, do you know where your kids are? And, you know, if you're inclined to think that you're going to go out at the age of 14 at 1 o'clock on a Thursday morning on a school night, you know, n- not too much good is going to happen. But secondly, you know, if you're in a situation where you decide that you're going to flee from police, and I don't think the people driving the car had instructional permits or anything like that. Um, so they were just off on a joyride on a car. But, you know, there's all these very, very bad consequences that can happen when you do things like this. So to the extent anything's gleaned from this horrible situation, it's that don't run from the police. And parents, maybe this is a conversation you need to have with your kids. You wouldn't hope you would hope that you wouldn't. But that's that's clearly what happened. Another one of these stories, a young person, you know, driving a car, 15 year old not able to control the car, fleeing from police, loses control, and as a result of that, you know, somebody ends up being dead. So it's not, nothing good comes of that at all. All right, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. All right, President Trump, uh, the headline says he storms out of a White House meeting with Democrats. Well, should he have done anything else? We're going to discuss that. Um, the uber left-wing mayor of New York says, I have an idea. Employer paid for mandatory vacation for everybody. 
and an elementary school principal who makes an interesting decision. I'll tell you all about that. Stick around. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 107, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric Bill said occasionally there's the... There's these stories that are just kind of full of irony, these little ones. Okay, Warren, Ohio is a it's, – it's kind of in the Youngstown area. It's in the extreme northeast corner of, of Ohio. Okay. So, okay, got it. And there, there's an, an elementary slash middle school. It's called Jefferson, and it's pre-kindergarten through eighth grade. Okay. I'm, I'm now on their I'm on their website. Stick with me here. I'm on, I'm on their website, and um, for example, they've got this banner that, that talks about you know what they're trying to instill in the kids. Uh, we are work ethic, accountability, responsibility, respect. Oh, that's nice. Effective behavior, no excuses. Okay, that that's what's on there. All right, yeah, yeah. and then they've got a picture. There, there's like three principals at the school. There's one. A woman who is like for pre-kindergarten through grade two and somebody who another woman who's grade three through five and then somebody who's grade six through eight. That's a guy. So it the story, I don't know which one of these two female principals this is about, but I, I know it's a female principal because they're not mentioning her name. OK, so here, here's here's the story. And this is this is going viral. And if people haven't heard it, you will hear it tonight because it's going to be on a lot of the talking head shows. They have at this this school, they have a a, hum, a, a a police officer, a school resource officer, but a sworn police officer, you know, who's there in, mm-hmm. in the school. Mm-hmm. In front of the school, now stick with me, they have two designated handicapped parking spaces right in front of the school. And they've got signs that say, okay, handicapped parking sure, spaces. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now what they have is between the two handicapped parking spaces there's what they call a hatch and what this is is it's really it's part of the two handicapped parking spaces what it is it's for um you know people who have like a a a van or something you know where you would you you've got a lift or something like that so you need the the lift comes out of the side so it's it's a they call it a hatch but it's a a vacant, so there's the two spaces that are marked, and then there's this area between them that is part of the handicap parking it's got zone. Like yellow paint on it, or eh, something whatever. Like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's like, yeah. but it but it's in between. Yep, yep, it's yep. in between these two, and it's for again the people that have the vans and things like that. All right, all right. So one one of these two principals has been parking in that spot in in the the hatch, you know, between the two of them. And and she's been doing it. I don't know which one it is, but it's a she. She's been doing it on a regular basis, right? So the the cop, the school resource officer, goes to her, and this is a while back, and says, "You can't do this. This is part of the the designated yeah. handicap parking right. area." And she says, "Well, it doesn't have." She apparently says, "It doesn't have a specific sign." And he says, "Well, I, I understand, but it's it's the area between the two. You can't park in the middle of it because that's that's the hatch. This is it's for mm-hmm. the yeah. people in disabled vans and stuff." So he he warns her, "You can't do this," and she keeps parking in the place. She essentially says, "Well, screw you." I'm going to park. Now, this is a principal, no excuses, responsibility, et cetera, <laughs> who's parking in between these two handicapped parking spaces. It gets better. So Tuesday, the guy who has told her you can't park there and she keeps parking there finally decides enough is enough. He writes her a ticket for go. parking in the 
disabled spot. And and again, it's not out of the clear blue. He's given her yes, warnings. Right. You mm-hmm. can't do it. And she's like, who? You know, I, what do you mean I can't park there? I'm the principal. So she parks there. So he gives her a ticket for parking in the prohibited zone between the two handicapped spaces. Honest to gosh. All right. What happens is after that, um, after repeatedly warning her and he gives her a ticket, she then what she does is she calls the school administrators and the school security. And she says, throw this cop off of campus. The police officer is physically removed from the campus by the campus security people because he gave the principal, one of these two women, a ticket wow. for parking in in the area. Some serious power there. Well, serious power. And, of course, this is now, I hate the phrase going viral because it's such a cliche, but this is going viral. <laughs> and you have disabled advocates from all over the country. And, and so now that the school superintendent is in complete and total retreat here, it's like, um, well, um, you know, we're some miscommunication occurred. <laughs> you know, well. How do you not know better? Several I, times. It's one thing. Okay. You want, you park there once you, you, you get right. away with it. You think you're going to get away with it. Fine. You know, whatever. Right. Or, or you make a legitimate right. mistake. Cause, cause there's not a sign. I mean, this is, I, you know, they, they've got, they, they show it. I mean, I've looked at a picture of it. It's this vacant space between these two spots. And it doesn't specific, because again, they, they don't want a car want parking a car there. Park there. Yes, right. They yeah. don't want a car parking there. It's, it's for th- this area. So, okay. So maybe, maybe you don't understand. Okay. It doesn't no. have a specific spot. You're not even buying this that. Is, no. Well, okay. Fine. You, you but, try it once. You get told not to. You keep doing it. Then you ask for the guy to be removed from the school campus. That does, how do you think that's going to end? It's not going to end well for you. <laughs> right. Because there's going to be some guy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who's going to pick up on that story. And that's going to be the subject. And now everybody's going to be Googling Jefferson PK through eight <laughs> to see the picture of one of these two. I don't know which women it, what woman it was. It was one of the two principals. Don't know which one. Will she have a job by the end of the week? That's, Tomorrow is Friday. Yeah, that is an in, that is an interesting question. So far, the school officials, the superintendent, are like apologizing to the the police for this, and, and the the school resource officer, the cop, he says, "I don't want to go back there." He says, "You know, I, I, I he's a, he's a sworn officer." He yeah. says, "You know, I'll do something else. You can send me another school, but I don't want anything to do with with this school." And again, it's it's. I've always figured, and I know you feel the same way, there's a special spot and you know where for people who park in disabled parking spaces to begin with. <laughs> it's just, it, every once in a while, people just baffle me, I guess. And school parking lots aren't that big to begin well, well, with. Well, yeah, see, that's, three spots right, see, that is the other, see, very good. That, that is the other thing, because I'm look, they're showing video of this parking lot, right? And I mean, nothing is too far. It, it's not like you're talking about Mayfair at Christmas, where you're going to have to walk half a mile. You're, you're right and there's all these spots on either side of the disabled parking space that are there park in one of those <laughs> instead of just i want the best parking space in the beginning and if if some disabled person you know who's got a lift comes along well the heck with them i need to get in and do my announcements got Good it morning there all right talk to all the classrooms that's about the it. pledge of allegiance yes that's if, if you want to google it i mean it, it's going to be all over the news but i, I do the thing I, i'm looking at their website there's a picture of the principals on it and it's um again we are work ethic accountability responsibility, respect, effective behavior, and no excuses, except when it comes to the principal parking in a disabled parking space 
and then I guess deciding when you're wrong, be strong. When we come back, let's talk about mandatory time off. Stick around. 115, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, among the, the new left, this new breed of Democrat leaders who is been moved into office over the course of the last couple years, there's no secret that that many of them are, as opposed to kind of the Bill Clinton kind of Democrats who was was left-leaning but but basically center-left, you have a number of this new breed of Democrat who are flat-out socialists or, or close to, to socialists, and, and that's the direction that they, they want to move the, the country. One, we, we want to have government-run health care. We want the government to take care of everybody's needs. You have people who are successful and make money. Well, they make too much money, so we need to take it from them. And, and this was it was an out-of-favor political ideology for years and years, but it, it's starting to come back into vogue. And again, you have this new generation of heavy-duty leftists who – believe that this is, you know, the, the way to go. All right, we're not going to get into the merits of that for the moment. Well, one of the things that's happening is it all we, with, with the 2020 election coming up, you have among some of this new breed, you have this huge rush to the left. It's who can get the furthest to the left the fastest. You have Elizabeth Warren, for example, who, you know, she's staking out her claim. You're going to have a number of other people who say they're going to run. The report is that uh, Kamala Harris, who's the very liberal senator from California, reports are that she's not going to get in. She was being one of that was talked about as a race as getting in. The, the new speculation, she's not going to run. But one of the names that you haven't heard a lot about is the mayor of the city of New York, Bill de Blasio, who is really far to the left as well. A number of political advisors of de Blasio have been saying, hey, you know, you, you, if you want to run for president, you got to understand that you're starting to get passed up. I mean, your, your name, when we talk about the, the uber progressive Democrats, you're, you're not, you're not the first or the second or the third name that people mention anymore. And so de Blasio's under some pressure to kind of, what's the phrase in the story I'm looking at, you know, reestablish himself um, into the national conversation as the leader of progressive democratic principles. All right, that's, which is a, a fancy way that New York Times is saying, is saying that, hey, you've got these other left-wing nuts that are getting further out to the left, and if you want to get a democratic nomination, you've you got to move with them. So anyhow... He yesterday floated this idea. Now, he's just talking about doing this for New York City, but he's I think he apparently believes this would be a good idea for the country. He announced yesterday that he wants to make New York the first city in the nation which would require. Require all private employers, with an exception I'll tell you about in just a minute, all private employers would, by law, have to provide at least two weeks of paid vacation to all employees. It would be a law that any employee has to get two weeks of paid vacation. The only exception would be if the business is five people or less, it, it would be exempted from that. Full and par- full and part-time workers at larger businesses would earn vacation time during the year up to 10 days. 
So it would presumably based on the number of hours you work. So if you're part-time, you would also be qualifying for paid vacation. But all full-time workers would be would be guaranteed to get two weeks of vacation. All right. Now, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to be real clear here. I, I think vacation is a great thing. Okay, I, I, I do. There were years when I started doing this that I gave vacation back. Now, my attitude is... Well, if the good folks at Good Karma are kind enough to, to give me vacation based on my seniority, it would be an insult to them to, to not accept it. I, I've come around to that way of thinking. So, I mean, I think I think paid vacation is a great thing. And if you work for a place that gives you paid vacation, you probably do a, as well. But this isn't a voluntary decision on the part of your company. This is a mayor saying, I think the government should tell all employers that as a condition of doing business, you must give your employees full and part-time, you must give them paid vacation. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the role of the government? And should government be telling private employers, you must do this? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The argument is, well, people are more productive. It's a better work environment, et cetera, if you give them paid vacation. And I don't dispute any of that. I mean, I I, I think it's great. Vacation gives you a chance to recharge your batteries, et cetera, et cetera. But is it the role of the government to say, yes, private employer, um, restaurant that employs 20 people, full and part-time, you have to give paid vacation to all your employees. Is that the role of the government? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One twenty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I think, I think employers offering paid vacation is, is, is a great thing. And I think it's certainly something that makes a particular employer or working in a place uh, attractive. I, I get all that. I just don't think the government should be telling private employers you have to offer paid vacation to employees. And that is precisely what the mayor of the city of New York wants to have happen in New York. And if he gets federal authority, I guess he would believe in that nationwide. I just don't think that's fair to businesses to tell them that we're going to treat vacation as an entitlement. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Hey, Jeff. I don't have paid vacation, and I would love paid vacation if my employer did it voluntarily. But yeah. if my employer was was forced to do this by the government, it would really scare me because uh, I I would be concerned that it would result in me getting laid off because the employer would want to cut all these you know costs and whatnot. Well, no. I mean, thanks for I mean, see that that is of course the unintended consequence of of all this stuff. For everybody that's out there that that views businesses as this this giant greedy piggy bank that's out there doing nothing but, you know, ripping off the workers of the world, etc., the the reality is a lot of these businesses, now this would exempt the very smallest, the the five-person places, but this would include, you've got a restaurant, you've got a mom-and-pop diner where you've got, you know, I don't know, 15 employees or 20 employees or something like that. This would include that those types of places 
and it would be this cost. And you start adding up these costs. Well, we want to have a $15 minimum wage. Okay, $15 an hour minimum wage. All right, and, and then we think you have to have paid sick leave. And now we're going to add two weeks of paid vacation on top of it. Where where does the dough come from? At some point in time, you're running that business, you say, well, okay, if this is what the cost is going to be, you know what? I've got to figure out a way to maybe get rid of two of my eight employees or my 10 employees, and you know that's how we're going to pay for all these benefits that we're giving to these other folks. So you know, how does that really do anybody any good? 414-799-1620, here's one of our texts, no to the mandatory vacation. If employees don't like it they can look for work that offers it but um yeah see and i i i agree with that completely i mean here's the bottom line of it It, it's a great benefit it's something that makes it attractive for you to want to work at a place or stay at a place depending on their vacation policies but to tell them you have to yeah bill and racine bill you're on wtmj uh yeah thanks for taking my call um I was just thinking because it just happened to be a perfect year to talk about this. Uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day came on a Monday and a Tuesday. Say a company, say somebody, I'm going to take my vacation at the very, very end of the year, mm-hmm. or most of it, because I'm going to only take off the three days after Christmas and the three days after New Year. Now... What ha- you're saying, what happens if everybody wants to take it off? Yeah, thanks exactly. for talking. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think... I don't think we've gone through the looking glass so much that that even in like a guy like Bill de Blasio's mind that that employers don't have some right to regulate you know who takes off vacation and when I I, I don't think this this hamstrings employers that much but but again the, the basic principle and do I think paid vacation is bad I, I don't I, I think it's a great benefit that employers offer. And I think it is an incentive to want to work at places. And I think good employers probably realize that, hey, if we offer some form of vacation, we're going to be able to, you know, attract and retain the best type of employees. I I, I appreciate all that. So I'm not arguing against paid vacation. I just don't think it's the government's role to come into a relationship between an employer in the private sector, between an employer and employee and say, here, you know, this is you have to offer this. And, you know, we saw this again. We've seen it with the health insurance concept. And now you've got health insurance. And now it's where you've got to give paid sick leave. And now it's going to be you have to give paid vacation. At some point in time, does it become simply not the government's business anymore? And my answer would be, I don't know where that point is. But when it comes to mandatory paid vacation, you've certainly crossed that line. Speaking of crossing lines. We're going to talk about what's going on in Washington in just a minute. Stick around. It's one thirty, but first, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. It's one thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Melissa, before you go, okay, the, the big announcement, Billy Joel playing at, at Miller Park. Now, I have to tell you, one of my – I was sitting there this morning getting ready for my show, and one of our teammates was – you're saying that, okay, well, Billy Joel was just at Lambeau Field, but that was fine. But then th- this person was going on and, and talking about how, well, I, I will I will just shortcut this. It was essentially nobody, nobody except only very old people would like to go see Billy Joel. And I listened to this for a little bit. And I thought, huh, you know, no, it's not the early. Bre- I, I think now I, I think Billy Joel is, is a very is an entertainer. But I admit I'm in a different demographic than maybe some people. So. 
would you would you go to see Billy Joel? I would. I saw him at Lambeau Field, and I won't be shy about my age. I'm 39. Okay. So, but he, like you said, he is the entertainer. So you're going to know every song that he played. And when he was at Lambeau, you sang along. Everyone, it was mixed generations all okay. around, younger people, older people. It was a good time. Right. So that's it was an experience. Is what people right. would say, you know. Now, now, part of it going to to Lambeau Field and stuff, but the thing is, you you knew a lot of the songs, and it and it wasn't only people who were like lined up for the early bird dinners or something no. like that. No, <laughs> no country buffets. No, I was kind of no, I, I was just sort of listening to this because I was thinking, huh? Now, of course, I I don't have the high road on that because I am of, I mean, I'm a baby boomer, and and I mean, I'm going to go see Jimmy Buffett, you know. So okay, yeah, so, you're I mean, a huge fan of Jimmy. But but the thing is with with but it's the same thing I think with Buffett. I, you go to Buffett shows and. And it's multi-generational. Mm-hmm. There are people who are older than me, significantly older than me, and then there's kids who were raised by their parents on the Buffett music, and then in some cases, you know, they have kids who have now been raised on that, and that's that's the thing I see at Buffett, and my guess is Billy Joel will be kind of the same way. He's the same way. There's a lot of nostalgia when you go to his shows, sure. and you know, and, and he talks to the audience. He gets people involved. He doesn't just sit there. I've been to concerts where they just sit there and they play music, which is fine. Right. That's not Billy Joel. He's uh, engaging. Yeah, Bob Dylan, for example. Have you ever seen Dylan in concert? No, but I saw Clapton in concert, and he all he said was thank you for through yeah. the whole entire concert he just sat yeah. there played music that yeah, was it yeah. dylan, dylan doesn't inter- I, I mean want a little more right but, well the dylan concerts i've been to he doesn't interact at right. all i mean right. i know uh, maybe i just haven't been to the right concerts but he almost no interaction at all whereas a billy joel or a jimmy buffett who's coming to alpine valley after a couple of your absence this summer i mean it, it's a fun experience and you you know you bring in the audience and stuff you know and i think just like lambo it was outside you got the outside the fresh air i think it'll be the same obviously at miller park it'll be outdoors hopefully great weather um you know it'll be it'll be a good experience i think for people and a multi-generational experience okay well that's good i wanted i i I was kind of like listening to this thinking huh because i mean i you know i again i i understand it's of a certain uh, it's a certain generation oh by the way we've got we've got a song thing um a guru who's producing the show today and always uh that the song that we talked about last week the baby shark one i need you to pull that up no again. don't no because <laughs> no. It, it's now made the new york you know it, the billboard top 40 baby shark cracked it this week baby shark is now on the billboard top 40 baby shark all right and the group that performs this now has as many top 40 hits as Jimi Hendrix had. Now, Gru, so, I want you to wait until I leave the studio <laughs> to, <laughs> to play that, this. That, that, that's com- it's not coming up now. It's coming oh, up okay. in just a, a, a little bit. But, no, we're going to revisit. And uh, there's a lot of people going. I was in this situation last week. I mean, we were the, – the the pop culture corner was earworms. And for me, it was after Daryl Dragon from Captain to Neil passed away. And it was Love Will Keep Us Together. And all these people kept calling up going, Baby Shark. And I, I had never – I did not know what Baby Shark was. But – I, I do now, and everybody in America You're might know you didn't. Baby Shark. So, okay, <laughs> we're going to revisit that in a little bit, but all right. Okay, before that, let us talk about one of the serious and significant issues that are out there. And I understand that there are, if 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 you tune into various talk shows across the country, there are talk show hosts who are spending two and three hours today, their entire shows talking again about the ongoing you know budget struggles and we'll talk a little bit about it but it's i can't say the same thing over and over every day i do as i said yesterday 
I, I just don't think this is any way to run a railroad. I, I, I don't. And maybe part of this is from my perspective. I mean, I worked for 12 or 13 years for the federal government and the U.S. Attorney's Office. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair, first of all, to expect people, whether you're a federal employee or a state employee or a private sector employee, I don't think it's fair to expect people to work without being paid. That That's just, to me, that's just wrong. And I understand they're going to get paid at some point in time, but you, you work, you should be paid for it. I also don't think that the, these furloughs are right. You've got all sorts of people that are out there that live paycheck to paycheck, and their their mortgage bank doesn't care. The you know the child support payments are due, and starting tomorrow, you're going to have a large number of people who are going to start missing paychecks. And and it's not because the business can't come up with the money; it's because again of this political struggle. So I. My attitude about this whole thing has been a pox on everybody's houses, and and it's something that should should get done. And if you had people that wanted to seriously get this done, it it would be to get done. But the reason we've got this problem right now is because it's politics pure and simple. President Trump wants a portion of a wall. Now for five billion dollars, the federal budget right now is four point four trillion. Five billion dollars for added border security is a relative drop in the bucket. It's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but it's a relative drop in the bucket. Five billion or three or four billion, it doesn't come close to building a wall. I mean you, you would need billions and billions more. But President Trump needs this because he promised his base that he would be able to deliver something, so he, he wants to do it. And he figures this is his best chance to do it. On the other hand, you have the Democrats who throw around money like they are lifesavers, you know, tossing them out to lifesaver candy, you know, to a crowd, you know, at a Mardi Gras parade. But even though you have a lot of Democrats who voted for a fence slash wall uh, a few years back when uh, when George Bush was the president, now they they don't want to give it to Donald Trump because they're beholden to the resistance. And we can't give Trump anything that we think is going to make him look like he's gotten any sort of victory at all. We have to resist at all costs. And as a result, nobody wants to negotiate about anything. This is not a hard situation. I mean, it's it's just not. The, The easy answer to this is, okay, give the president, approve a couple billion dollars for wall spending, and then trade it off. Say we, we want, I don't know, we want some DACA legislation for the Dreamers or, or whatever. There, there There's all sorts of deals to be made, and this whole thing goes away and the government opens up. But the problem is you have people who don't want to make deals at all. So President Trump goes into this meeting yesterday. Now, President Trump's got to get his side, you have to understand what people need out of negotiations. From his perspective, President Trump has to get something. His base, you know, his political supporters, they, they, they're demanding something. Now, I think reasonable people can, agree, can disagree about whether the wall is the most effective thing to, to build. I've been skeptical of this for a couple of years. But again, given the big picture, you do have fences, whether you want to call it a fence or a wall. I can understand how that would be useful in certain areas of the border. Running something across the entire uh, United States border doesn't make any sense to me. But I could certainly see, okay, you know, buttressing the fortifications in certain areas. That that makes perfect sense. So, 
All right, President Trump goes to this meeting yesterday, and he says, okay, look, here, here's I, I need funding for a wall. What, what do we need to do to get it? And he is told by Nancy Pelosi, essentially, no. Fund, give us funding to open the government, and then we'll discuss paying for the wall. To which President Trump says, well, okay, if we do that, are you going to consider, are, are you going to give me money for the wall? And she says, no, under no circumstances are you getting money for the wall. At which point Trump says, all right, well, then there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to negotiate. And he walks out. And of course, the story is Trump storms out of White House meeting with Democrats on shutdown. Well, he, he stormed out because they, they, they said under no circumstances, no how, no way, are we giving you any dough for this wall? At which point in time, since that's what he needs, there's nowhere to go with these negotiations. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At this point in time, I, I do think we have gotten to the point where the Democrats, unwilling at all to negotiate over this issue, I, I think they own the shutdown. Again, I'm not... I'm not saying that I think the wall is the best thing or it's going to stop all illegal uh, pe- people illegally coming into the country. But at, at this point in time, and I come from the perspective of somebody who just doesn't think this is a way to run the railroad. To me, it is ridiculous that you can't offer something in trade to the president. All right. You know, we'll give you a few billion dollars to you know build part of the wall that you want. And this is what we want from you. We want. I don't know, a path to citizenship. We want to lay things on the table. Right now, the Democrats are just saying no because they think that this is a winning issue in the polls. And to that extent, this this really, I think the Democrats are starting to own this. And you know what? I think more and more people are going to come to that conclusion. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, I'm just sick of the whole darn thing at this point in time. There's a way, there should be an easy way to get this done. And I think at this point in time, because the Democrats, because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer believe that, you know, they're polling, this is what their base wants to see, stick at the Donald Trump regardless, I think they're dug in, and there's not a reason to be dug in on this. We discuss in just a moment. It's 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I think it is appalling that you have federal employees who are working without being paid tomorrow. I think it's appalling that you have people who are on furlough for no good reason because Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Donald Trump can't reach some sort of an agreement that everybody can live with. In this particular case, you've got things that are important to both sides. In the grand scheme of things, again, I'm a skeptic on this wall, but President Trump and a large segment of American population, the American population, believe that this is an important element of border security, and he wants money to help start erecting this or continue erecting it. All right. Well, I mean, a lot of people in Congress, a lot of Democrats, they voted for fencing before. But now, because it gives Donald Trump a win, they can't do it. On the flip side, there should be other issues that are important to Democrats that you can trade off on this. It's just, it is frustrating to me that both sides have dug in on this. Easy thing to be, President Trump goes to Congress, goes to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and says, all right, look, what's this going to take? I need a few billion dollars to build this wall. I think it's important for national security. 
35, 40% of the American people agree with me. What do you need? And the response he gets is, well, under no circumstances will we pay for anything for a wall. When in many cases, they've already voted for funding. This is so frustrating to me that you can't get an agreement. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Chuck in Shelton. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, how are you? Real well, thank No, I'm frustrated by this whole thing. It's it's like a bunch of kids, for goodness sakes. Oh, I agree. But but you, if you look at it, you know, in the long the long view backwards, it's it's really tit for tat. The uh, the Republicans did it when the Obamacare deal came around. That we're not going to approve that no matter what. And now you got you know Trump wanting the wall, and the Democrats not you know agreeing to that. Right. What what really concerns me. As I told your screener, is with him wanting to declare a national emergency over yeah. this and take the money out of the defense budget, right? Because that would delay other military projects, etc. Yeah, I, I think that would be the wrong way to go too. It's because it, it's going to end up being a yearly battle. Yes, the defense budget goes up every year. Well, we had twenty five billion that we could have used for something. Yeah. Yep, yep, you yep, know? yep. No, I don't think it's in that. I, right. I, I also think it raises huge constitutional issues. We elect presidents. We don't elect dictators. And if if somebody can declare a national emergency every time they can't get what they want through Congress, that's going to be pretty scary, too. Um, exactly. No, no, thanks for calling. Again, I, look, I, I, I'm a skeptic on this, this wall, too. But the, the reality is there's a lot of people, you know, 35, 40 percent who, who feel very strongly that you need this. President Trump needs this for his supporters. Many of the Democrats in Congress, like I say, they, they voted for funding, you know, during the Bush administration to, to build to build a fence, to build a wall, whatever. So and, and I think. Is this the solution to illegal immigration? No, of course it's not. But is it something that's completely in left field? No, no, it's not. But th- this idea that we're not going to give you this regardless. I mean, give me a break. Figure out what it is that you want. Do you want a path to citizenship? Put that on the table and, and have this debate. But now we're at this point where, you know, you're just, I mean, both sides are dug in, not on the merits, because at the end of the day, I don't believe Schumer and Pelosi Taking the politics of this out, I don't think they do, they, do they care if you build some more fencing or something along certain areas of the border? Well, of course not. They don't care about that. But they don't want to give Donald Trump a, a victory. Trump need, knows he needs to deliver some fencing from his political perspective. And as a result, you've got the federal employees that aren't getting paid. 414-799-1. It's just frustrating. And I understand that there's people who hate the Democrats and there's people who hate Donald Trump. The reality is, if everybody's a grown-up, this shouldn't have happened, and it should be something that you solve in 15 minutes. Janet in Madison. Janet, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I just think that possibly they should withhold. I mean, everybody should be have their paychecks withheld. Pelosi, Schumer, all those guys. Uh, they would be more considerate than of the other employees that are furloughed. Right. And, and just, I mean, just reach an agreement. See, I, I just, I don't, what's so frustrating to me, Janet, is, I mean, I, I've, I've lived through a lot of these other government shutdowns, and a lot of them have been on, on principle. We think you want to spend too much, etc. This one isn't on principle at all. This one's just purely based on, on nothing but pure politics. Neither side wants to give the other side any sort of victory at all. And, and so as a result, you have, in this case, it's the federal employees and the people in the private sector who need federal employees to process their applications for grants or whatever. They're the ones that are getting screwed over because you have three of these people who just 
employees can't agree on something. Right. And that's um, why I think that everybody's paycheck should be withheld then in the federal level. Um, yeah, thanks for the call. And, and it just solves it. Again, I mean, it's, see, I always argue that, that politics is the art of the possible. And, and I understand that sometimes we, we, we all, we, well, we, nobody wants to compromise and we all want to be ideologues and we want to say that. But this is, this is an easy one. Because I, I think it's impossible to argue, like I say, and I'm not a huge fan of the wall, but I, I can understand how reasonable people can say, all right, you know, as part of border security, we want more fixed placement. Okay, I, I get it. And here, you know, let, let's take some money. Now, some people are texting me, say, I can't believe I, I don't want to see my tax dollars go for this wall. Well, okay, we, we, there's a lot of people who believe that this could in fact help border security and and we spend a lot of money on a lot of stuff that in my opinion is a lot more frivolous than the wall but but this is a way to just kind of get stuff done and it is it's the frustrating sort of compromise that i think has a lot of people perhaps the majority of people in this country just frustrated with politics as politics as usual is this going to are, are we going to solve this i i don't know where does this go? I don't know. As of the weekend, it's the longest government shutdown in U.S. history. Now, it's not a full shutdown of the government. It's a partial shutdown. And pretty soon what's going to happen is there's going to be even more pressure on both sides. I wouldn't be surprised if the way this resolves itself is that President Trump declares a national emergency, diverts certain money from other projects, uses it to start construction of the wall, and then, you know, signs continuing spending resolutions. I, I think... Do I think that that's bad policy? Yeah, that's probably the way this all plays out. It ends up in court for two years, but at least you get people back to work, which is the important thing at this point in time. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Speaking of stalemates, now, Melissa, have you noticed, um, for for your, have you cut the cable or do you have... What, do you have pay cable? Do you have like either cable or satellite dish or I, something? I haven't had cable for years. It's been years. I just have Netflix. Okay, so how, how do you get like local TV? Do you I, get local TV? I do. Yeah, I get. Um, I have a digital antenna. Okay, so I get all the local channels. Got it. And all the okay. networks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this story I'm going to talk about next has has nothing to do with you. So okay, you're excused. <laughs> that's, that's, that, okay. That, that, well, no, that's you're, you're always welcome to <laughs> yeah, hang around. Yeah. But no, no, but that that's fine. I I, I get that. It actually does kind of tie in though, because if I were to ask Melissa this question, her response would be, "It doesn't affect me. I don't care." Which, because it doesn't affect you, and so I, 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 I get that. Now, the way in in this area, the the largest TV provider is is Spectrum Cable, and for and I understand there there's all sorts of different ways that you can get get TV. You can get for like broadcast channels that there's the over the air. You know, you, people have antennas. There's um, AT&T. There's Dish Network. There's Direct TV. There's all sorts of different ways that people can get TV. But and plus all the other like live streaming services. So I understand that. But the the top TV provider in the area is Spectrum Cable. Uh, as you may know, Spectrum Cable, and this happens from time to time, they are in an ongoing rights dispute with uh, Tribune Broadcasting Company. 
Tribune has 33 stations in 24 markets that are carried by Spectrum cable systems. Um, and, and in Milwaukee, it's WITI. It's Channel 6. Well, the way this works is that the, the cable, in this case, Spectrum, and it would be applied to, you know, Dish Network and ATT and DirecTV as well. What, what happens is those, those providers, those delivery services, like Spectrum delivers, you know, entertainment. Um, they deliver TV channels to customers. What happens is they pay a rights fee to the content provider for the rights to carry their programming. So if Spectrum carries ESPN, all right, they, they pay a rights fee to ESPN, and then ESPN says, okay, you have the right to, you know, rebroadcast our programming. And so what they do is then Spectrum turns around and they sell customers like me ESPN. Now they sell it as part of packages and all, but what Spectrum does and the way they make their money is they pay X amount of money for content uh, to the different content providers and they have their overhead and then they charge so that they can, they can make money. What happens from time to time, and this happened with uh, WTMJ TV a number of years ago, is you, you get in, uh, disputes will arise as to whether, you know, who, who, how much should you pay for the content? And, and that's what's going on now between Tribune Broadcasting, which again owns all these stations, including Channel 6 locally, and Spectrum. Uh, Spectrum says, all right, we've made offers. We've offered to pay X amount of money for the content to Tribune Broadcasting. Tribune says we want more money. And so they're not giving us what we want. And so, you know, we're not going to allow Spectrum Cable to continue to carry our our programming until we can reach an agreement. And there's actually, if you would, for example, if you have Spectrum Cable and you tune into where what would be Channel Six, they've they've had this. It's the same crawl that's been up there for you know days and days and days. I think this dispute started on January second. That's where the program is pulled. But it, it's it's kind of direct. It says, well, the people at Tribune Broadcasting are being greedy and they want all this different money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the bottom line is, of uh, in this case, Fox Six has been off of Spectrum Cable since January 2nd, and, and here's January 11th. And, I mean, so far, just like with the budget impasse, there doesn't appear to be a lot of movement. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, Fox 6 in Milwaukee has the rights to um, the Fox coverage of the NFL football games. Now, it would have been an interesting dynamic to see what would have happened if the Packers had been in the playoffs while all this is going on? Well, the Packers aren't, so you know, don't have to worry about that. But the, but the NFL playoffs are. For example, this weekend, there's there's two playoff games that are going to would have been that are going to be aired on Fox and would have been aired on Channel Six. One is Saturday night, eight seven fifteen hour time. Dallas Cowboys playing the Los Angeles Rams, and then the other is uh, on Sunday, three forty hour time. Philadelphia versus New Orleans. So I mean, you know, you're you're getting there's eight teams left in the NFL playoffs, and of course th- there's a lot of attention. And unless something is resolved, th- those games aren't going to be available locally on Spectrum Cable. Right, I, I am just intrigued because I am a student of, of popular culture. I, I have to say that 
you know, since this has been going on. Now, look, I I, I consume lots of local news. I, I, I watch WTMJ, our, you know, um, formerly our, our sister TV station. I, I watch WITI. I think Channel 6 does a good idea. I watch Channel, good job. I do watch Channel 12. Occasionally, I watch Channel 58. So I'm a consumer of, of local news. The, at the same time, I will also say there is so much television on. There, there's so many TV choices that I don't have enough time to watch all the different TV shows that that I want to watch to the point that I I've missed something. And and yes, last week you couldn't see that one F NFL game. I just I just it didn't I didn't even pay any attention to it. To tell you the truth, I just kind of almost forgot that it's on. With all the different TV choices that are out there, the fact that you have one particular network who is off the cable provider I get, I, I just I haven't noticed. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this and I don't I don't know who's right or wrong. I don't know what's reasonable, what's not reasonable, but I, I do think this is interesting from the way that we consume I don't know, entertainment and get information. The fact that now you have a, a prominent local station that is off the major cable network that serves our area. And my, I guess my question is, does anybody notice? Does anybody really care? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm a TV junkie, and to tell you the truth, I, it just it really hasn't registered to me other than the fact that last weekend there was the one NFL game. I was home. I would kind of say, well, maybe I would check into this. But, well, yeah, it's not available. Boom. Then haven't thought about it since. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, here's the problem for a, a broadcaster. Uh, people are, are creatures of, of habit. Hopefully, you know, you've gotten into the habit of saying, hey, I, I know Monday through Friday, noon to three, I turn on, you know, WTMJ and Jeff Wagner is going to be on the radio. And, and people understand that Jeff Wagner gets some vacation time and things like that. But if you keep tuning in day after day after day and it goes on for a long period of time and the guy that you're tuning in or the gal you're tuning in to listen to or watch isn't there, well, you fall out of that habit. And that's that's, of course, when you look at this dispute between, in this case, Tribune Broadcasting, which is Channel 6 locally, and Spectrum Cable, that's the advantage that, that Spectrum has in that the longer a TV station, for example, is off the air, the more people get out of the habit of of tuning into that TV station. So maybe they, they look for alternatives and they say, hey, I just tuned into, I used to watch Channel 6, but now I just tuned into Channel 4. And you know what? They're, they're pretty good. And that becomes part of, of the habit that's there. The flip side is, from the perspective of Tribune, in this case Channel 6, they say, hey, our content is worth something. But... Uh, it, the dispute started January 2nd. Uh, Tribune has been off of Spectrum Cable since, again, January 2nd. Today is the 11th. You know, is, is this a big deal? Is this affecting you? Mark in Oak Creek. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling, pal. Hey, you know what? You know, I, I miss Channel 6 because I really like their newscasts. They come on early in the morning, and they... And they go all the way until like nine o'clock. I kind of miss that where the other stations don't. They mm-hmm. go a little bit more national and everything. 
but I don't do a lot more on Channel 6 to the point that I did miss the Marquette game last week. I had to go to someone's house because, you know, Marquette was on Channel 6, if you remember. Oh, was it? Game. And, uh, I, oh, yeah. Okay, I see. I, I, I was at, you know, I was I, at I, the I, game. I didn't okay. tickets for that game. I got it for Saturday. But, um, but anyways, yeah, I do miss Channel 6 and the football and stuff. Okay. And, and, you know, what I think is I think Spectrum, you know, we pay for a service. I have, like, three TVs, I was telling your screener, and we have a DVR and everything else. You know, they should give us a little discount if we aren't getting our service. What do you think? Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, that's, you know, in the past, th- there have been things like that when there's been like the, these lengthy delays. They say, okay, we're going to, we're going to prorate for a little bit. Now, I don't know if it's a deal where certainly sometimes if the service has been interrupted because of other things. Did I say today was the 11th? Today's the 10th, isn't it? I'm just getting a little bit ahead of myself. I, I, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're, are they going to give you a rebate because one channel is off? I, I don't know. But I, I think, see, this is going to be the interesting thing because just like the budget struggle, just like the budget impasse, the question is going to be, you know, who blinks and who ends up getting hurt by something like this? I And again, I I didn't, I mean, I've I got to tell you, if, if I had, I was at the Marquette game, I had tickets, so I wasn't paying attention to whether it was on TV or not. But yeah, if I had intended to watch it on TV and I couldn't see it, I, I would be a little bit irritated. 414-799-1620, Joel in Milwaukee. Joel, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, good to talk to you as always. Thank uh, you. I told your screener, this directly affected ours. We have our daughter and son-in-law living with us. They're Seahawks fans. Okay. They wanted to see the game last Saturday night. So I, I went to Menards. Uh, you were talking about, you know, somebody was talking about a digital antenna. $4.99 digital antenna solved the problem. Right. I got the last one at Menards. <laughs> the guy said, he, he said, digital antennas last week were just flying off the shelf at Menards because everybody was doing with it, you know, dealing with this. But at the same time, it started the conversation in our house because I put that digital antenna in. All of a sudden, I've got 40-some channels, and we're trying to figure out, okay, do I want to keep on giving Spectrum hundreds of some dollars every single month? It, so that so that's the flip side of this. By going and finding this alternative, you're saying, hey, okay, this you know, maybe, maybe this is the cheaper way to just get all sorts of stuff, huh? Exactly. Yep. Uh, no, thank. Well, that's it's interesting because I have a text that makes that same point. Jeff, we're using an antenna to get Channel Six, and seriously thinking about cutting Spectrum and going to streaming. Um, the bill keeps going up. Soon, it won't be worth what they are charging. Now, of course, what what Spectrum figures, and and we we are. You know, human beings are number one creatures of habit, but there's also, I think a lot of us, and I'm talking about me now, in- inherently lazy, and people are going, well, all right, I've, am I really going to go and get the digital antenna and then hook it up to, you know, this TV or, or whatever? Am I going to do that just because I want to watch one TV channel? Now, I understand if you're a Seahawks fan, for example, you know, you, you want to see the game. My response might be just find a bar where it's on, but that would be how I would handle it. But yeah, this is the flip side. If more and more people say, "Hey, you know, we've gone to this alternate method, and you know, we we don't really miss cable that much," does that end up hurting them? Let's talk to Nick in Wauwatosa. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my Hi, call. Nick. I did talk to my uh, carrier uh, spectrum. They said that uh, a credit would be given at some point later in the month or okay. Toward- Later in the end of the month, but I noticed that that when we, when I switched over to the spectrum, I kept my 
my uh, antennas. And so really it hasn't affected me in that sense because it's like I really don't care. I, I like uh, the, the six channel and the news and everything. And so all I do is just go to whatever particular TV. Okay, gotta, gotta let you go because you sounded like your cell phone was talking to us from the bottom of the ocean. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you've got your, if you've got this antenna system that, that's hooked up, you've got that alternative. Also, a number of people are saying that if you've got like the Fire Stick or the Roku, uh, and you have the Fox 6 app downloaded, you, you can still load that in and you can watch the games and stuff. I haven't tried that, but we do. I have, I have a couple TVs that are hooked up to the traditional cable system, and then we have two TVs in the house. Don't even ask me how many TVs we have for the two people that live in the house. But, but there, we've got two TVs that are, aren't hooked up to the cable per se. They've got those Roku things, and, because I'm a Spectrum customer, I can access, you know, all the different apps through Spectrum. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Arlene in Waterford. Hi, Arlene. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Yes, I want to tell you that I waited and waited almost a whole year for a particular program to come on Channel 6. It's called the Orville. Okay. Right. Oh, right. It's a. It's like kind of a, a, a space a thing, guy. right? Yeah, got yeah. it. Right. Just so funny and so good. So I saw one episode, now I've missed two. Okay. And I am really, really getting aggravated at this situation. Okay, um, let me ask you, who are you Who are you mad at? Are you mad at Channel 6, their parent company, or are you mad at Spectrum? Or don't you, are you mad at just everybody? <laughs> well, I'm mad at the situation. Yeah. I don't okay. know who is the biggest okay. cause, but... Uh, just, just like the budget, let's get it figured out. <laughs> right. You, you just want to watch the show. Just give me I my show back. Show. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Well, thanks for the call. Well, I, I was, I was just wondering, you know, who, you know, who gets the blame in something like this, especially if it goes on for a long time. John in Kenosha. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, Hi, I had the same situation occur about a year, year and a half ago, um, where the Disney Channel was pulled from our Spectrum package. Right. And if I wanted, and if my kids wanted it back, it was going to cost me fifteen dollars extra a month. And so the way I fixed that solution was I canceled all of my cable. Um, I purchased Hulu Live, and I put an antenna on the roof, and now I have everything that I had before. Um, Plus, I have an extra $100 of after-tax money per month in my mm-hmm. pocket that I didn't have before. <laughs> so you're one, you're, one of those, you're one of those cord cutters that are out there. Yeah, I threatened yeah. it for years, and I didn't do it. And when I finally did it, I wish I would have done it before <laughs> yeah no no they I mean of course and that's the that's the battle and we've talked about this before I mean that's the battle that that the the content um, distributors whether and and it's, it's not unique to you know spectrum cable it's the same thing that dish TV and AT&T and direct TV and all these places are facing that's a lot of folks are saying you know may, maybe there's a different way that we can get entertainment and you put up this dish and you have your internet service and you have Hulu or whatever and you've got Netflix and you really don't miss a lot of that stuff now one of the battles is Again, it, it's live sports, I think, as much as anything else. I haven't gotten to this point, and I, I don't know. I, look, I don't know who the bad guy is. I think just like kind of in the budget dispute, I'm one of those people that says, I, I just want this over. I can't believe that you can't figure out some way to to make this all work. 
And um, my my guess is at some point in time, you know, they will resolve something. But, you know, people are going to be angry and there's going to be hard feelings. And at least for the moment, as it stands now, if you're used to being able to just put on the local Channel 6 and you expect to watch those football games this weekend, if if that's how you do it, you're not going to be able to see the games unless they reach an agreement. And, of course, nationwide, keep in mind, Tribune owns a number of stations. They don't own the Fox. They don't have the Fox franchises all over the, the, the country. They've got, you know, all sorts of, of different uh, affiliations with different networks, depending on what market you are in. Will be interesting. Who has the, who has the Super Bowl this year, Gru? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, you don't. You're, I don't know either which which network has it, but it will be interesting to see whoever, whichever network has the Super Bowl. As you get closer to the Super Bowl, if it's off in a particular market, that's where you really start to get some pressure. It's two twenty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of my regrets over the course of the last eight years, where we had Republican control of the state legislature and the state house, was the fact that you could not get the states euphemistically called unfair sales um, law, the minimum markup law, repealed. For, for those of you who don't know, this is a law that goes back to the 1930s. And this was a much different economic environment in the 1930s than it is today. But in Wisconsin, the law essentially says that, that you can't sell goods below cost. And when it comes to certain goods like gasoline, the law imposes a, a markup on on that. The idea is we need to do this to protect mom and pop businesses from predatory pricing. So as a result, let's say I run a gas station and I decide, you know what, I, I've got a gas station, but I'm selling milk and cigarettes and lottery tickets and all these other things. And what I want to do is I want to I want to get traffic. So I'm going to sell gas at cost. My cost, because I think I'm going to make my money on people coming in and buying cigarettes and lottery tickets and coffee and milk or whatever. The law says you can't do it. Let's say that I run a grocery store and I decide, hey, it's Thanksgiving. So what I want to do is I I want to sell my turkey below cost, below cost. Uh, But why would you sell it below cost? Well, you say, because if I'm selling my turkeys below cost, people are going to come in, they're going to buy my turkey, but they're probably just not going to come to my store and just buy my turkey. They're going to buy my canned cranberries, and they're going to buy this and that and the other thing, and paper toweling and all this other stuff, and I'll make it up. All right, in Wisconsin, you are not legally allowed to do that. And that's why, for example, around holidays like Thanksgiving and stuff, there will be ads that they run for some of these national stores that offer prices, say, in Illinois, but you can't run them in Wisconsin because, well, it would violate this particular law. This has always been a source of frustration to a number of people, including a lot of conservatives, but even with Republican control of the legislature, because there are powerful lobbies that are out there, like, uh, again, the um, well, some of the small business groups who I think – just don't want to have are concerned about that competition um, this could never go anywhere well interestingly today or the other day there is a state senator very good conservative state senator uh, Dave Craig who actually sent out a letter dated January 9th so it's dated yesterday to Tony Evers and portion of the letter says congratulations on taking 
office of our great state, et cetera, et cetera. He says, look, I know you're trying to find like bipartisan initiatives. How about this? Wisconsin's Unfair Sales Act, also known as the Minimum Markup Law, has far surpassed its life expectancy. Implemented nearly 80 years ago, this antiquated law has limited the pricing freedom of Wisconsin businesses and put the financial burden squarely on middle-class consumers. And then it goes on to say, hey, maybe... You know, if we're looking at something bipartisan that maybe Republicans and Democrats can come together and agree on, maybe it's getting rid of the minimum markup law. And here you have a, a very, very conservative senator who's saying, look, I, I, I think maybe we should be taking a look at this. Governor Evers, what do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I, I under look, I don't know if back in the 30s and the 40s there was ever an economic justification for something like this when there might only be the idea would be, well, if you you've, you've got like one mom and pop grocery store and if you have some giant chain that comes in and sells bread below price and that below cost and then what happens is they drive the mom and pop grocery store out of business then they'll be the monopoly and then they'll raise prices and everybody will get screwed over that's the justification of it i don't know if that made sense in wisconsin in 1930 or not i i wasn't around for that but i do know that that doesn't make sense to me anymore. You have intense competition. You have a number of different stores and a number of different national providers and local providers that are out there. And I think they should be able to compete on cost. And if you've got, for example, a grocery store that decides that they want to sell turkeys below cost, who loses? I mean, to me, that's pro-consumer. I think consumers should have the right to do that. If you have a gas station that decides we want to sell gasoline below cost because we're going to get people in and they're going to buy milk and we're going to ultimately make money, I think that they should have the right to do it. And if they do something like that and they do drive a couple of their other competitors out of business and then they jack up their prices, well, you know what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to move into the market and, uh, again, start selling gas for less. It's a different world out there now. And I think this minimum markup law has, has been, I think it's ill-considered, certainly for 2019. And all it is is a big, sloppy, wet kiss to some of the special interests in the state. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. State Senator Dave Craig calling on liberal Governor Tony Evers saying, hey, let's work across the aisle on this. You know, you want to be pro-consumer? What could be more pro-consumer than let's give, you know, middle-class citizens in the state of Wisconsin, let's give them a chance to buy stuff at the lowest price possible? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Juan in Wauwatosa. Juan, you're first. Hello. Hi. Uh, Walmart started pushing small uh, stores out across the country, I think it was in the 90s. And now that Walmarts are closing, it's causing problems in rural areas. In, in cities, it's not that big a deal. But you go in, like my sister says, in Black River Falls, this happened to them, and they're driving 40, 50 miles to get to a store now that some of these big stores that pushed everyone out are closing off. 
Well, and again, I mean, I, I understand it's it's different, but I mean, here, here's here's what's going to happen. You know, if you've got the, the big box retailer that, that closes for whatever reasons, that's going to create a, a need. And, and somebody is going to rise in to fill that need. Maybe it's going to be a local operator. You know, maybe it's going to be a, a national operator. But there's going to be somebody that, that's going to move in. I mean, I just don't think it's the government's role to sit and say, all right, this is how much you have to sell your turkeys for, or this is how much you have to sell your cranberry sauce for, or this is how much you have to charge for gasoline. To me, and, and this is what's been so frustrating about all the debate that's gone on when Republicans controlled both the governorship and, and the, the assembly in the state senate in Wisconsin, it's, you know, Republicans are supposed to be free market type of people. Well, all right, this is the ultimate free market. Now, uh, again, I, you know, all these concerns that you're going to have this predatory pricing in the real world, that just hasn't been what's happened since the 1930s or the 1940s. 414-799-1620. I'm with Senator Craig on this. David and Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, good afternoon. Hi, David. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, really quickly, I actually uh, um, was going to say, and I said to your screener, I would use this opportunity as a bargaining chip because the, the governor is going to definitely push for, you know, higher gas tax. There's no question that's going to happen uh, because there's some Republicans that agree with the you know, right. same thing. And I'd say, okay, we'll do this. If you do this, we'll do this. And I would, you know, I think that that would be a compromise. I mean, I'm not happy if the gas tax is right. going up, but... At the same token, to your point, um, it would allow a, a lot of different, besides gas, you know, be it right. food or or anything else, for that matter, any purchases, you could, uh, you know, do it without having to uh, worry about penalties. And if you remember, uh, too, um, you know, for a long time, you know, our butter laws were really kind of goofy. <laughs> yeah, and, right. And, the and people who would make the oleo runs because you couldn't sell margarine up here, so people right. would drive down to Illinois. It was uh, what colored margarine or something, you know? Right. right. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's what I compared this to. It was from a time period where, you know, it, it's we obviously know that you know that that's. It's just silly. It, it shouldn't right. be on the book. Right, exactly. And you know, thanks. I mean, maybe that's the way. Now, look, I'm I'm certainly not going to come sit here at this point in time and, and endorse a, a gas tax increase. But, but uh, again, that that's that's something else. It becomes perhaps more palatable if you say, "All right, we're we're going to give the consumers a certain break." And I, again, I mean, let me think about it. Let it's Thanksgiving time. And, and you have, fig, you know, fig, figure out whatever the retailer is. But the retailer decides, I, you know, I wanna, I wanna match the prices of of what even my store. Let's say it's a, a Meyer store. I don't know if they have Myers in Illinois or not. But uh, we want to be able to sell turkeys in Wisconsin for the same price that we're selling turkeys in in Illinois or in Michigan or or wherever. And, and maybe that's at our cost, or maybe it's below our cost because again, we 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 know. People are going to buy other stuff. Why should Wisconsin consumers have to pay more? And the only reason Wisconsin consumers have to pay more is because of this antiquated law. I I don't, you know, you repeal it 
And if five years from now, it turns out that you've had all these different businesses that have been run out of business, and we don't have any choices as to where we're going to buy our gasoline or where we're going to buy our food, well, I, I will be the first to sit here behind the microphone and say, hey, I was wrong. We don't have any choices. We only have, like, it's like the Soviet Union. We only have, like, one choice of where we can buy gas, and we only have one bank we can go to, and we only have, you know, one type of grocery store that you go go to. Well, okay, if, if that's the case, I'll be the first to admit I'm going to be wrong, but you know what? All sorts of other states don't have these artificial protections, and you know what they have? They have competition as well. 246, Jeff Wagner, um, WTMJ. When we come back, I apologize in advance for this next segment. Stick around. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jimi Hendrix. You can make an argument that Jimi Hendrix was the greatest guitarist of all time. Some people might say somebody else, but a lot of people would believe Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix had one song that cracked the Billboard Top 40 that was all along the Watchtower. One song. All the other Jimi Hendrix songs, none of them, none of them, not a one, made the Billboard Top 40. I had never heard about this song before we were doing a a segment on earworms last week, and a number of people kept calling in saying, Baby Shark, you you hear this tune and and you get it in your head. I had never heard of the tune Baby Shark until we did that, that segment. Story in the New York Times today, Baby Shark, which is produced by a South Korean educational brand, has now, it, it's, let's see, Pink Fong, which is a South Korean educational brand. They do Baby Shark. Baby Shark has now debuted this week in the top, it's number 32 in the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Baby Shark by Pink Fong. Now, Pink Fong now has as many top 40 placements as Jimi Hendrix has. All right, if you have not heard this, I apologize in advance. My producer, Gru, says it's 90 seconds. Do we have to play the whole blank thing? I don't know, but 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 here's what the furor is. Here's Baby Shark. Okay, okay, I give in, I surrender. Now, it, it goes on, right? It's like grandma, and it's like, hi, shark. What comes after grandpa? Right here, let's let it go. What comes after grandpa? Grandpa shark. Let's go Let's go hunt. Okay, I thought it was going to be like Uncle Shark, Aunt Shark. Okay, okay, enough. I I, I give in. I, I'm tapping out. Okay, th- this 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 song, this song again debuted number thirty two this week on the Billboard Hot One Hundred chart. It it gets even different. Um, this. The video of this, and God help me, I watched it this morning, has been viewed more than 2.1 billion times on YouTube. B as in billion. Let me put this in perspective. 
This the video of this is one of the 30 most videoed most viewed videos ever ever 2.1 billion times. It was streamed 20.8 million times just in the past week. 20.8 million times. I've only, I literally only have two minutes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. I, I'm, I'm away. I, I didn't have any children myself. I mean, I've got grandkids and things like that, but I, 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 I flat out don't get it. I mean, I just, I, I guess, you know, people say it's kind of infectious and, you know, it's got this sort of catchy tune and it's an earworm. I just, I flat do not understand it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's the end of modern civilization as we know it, but it might be darn close if you've got 2.1 billion people who are watching this thing on on YouTube. Am, am I missing something here? 414, no, I mean, it's, I, I, it's harmless, I guess. 414-799-1620. Uh, Jeff, I have to admit, I turned the radio off for the 30 seconds of the song. I'm sorry. Uh, another one. Jeff, the FCC should address the authority of that. All right, let's talk. 414-799-1620. Jay in West Bend. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I, I'm fine. By the way, our phone lines have just jammed up on Baby Shark. Okay, what, what's the appeal of this? Well, you know, I have a seven-month-old daughter, and whenever she gets upset, like, mad, I play the song, and she puts a smile on her face, and she laughs, and gets all excited, and it's, it's actually a phenomenal tool. Uh, okay, does it drive you nuts? or if Ab- it may- <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm a person that gets easily annoyed, and um, the song, yes, it's extremely annoying, but it's extremely beneficial when she's screaming. And- right, it, 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 make, it, right it, it makes her it makes her calm. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I understand that. Sue in Brookfield. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Well, I'm I'm apologizing for playing that. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. How are I, you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Good. Um, I'm going to tell you that this is, song has been around for decades. It's a song I used to sing with my Cub Scout pack, and my son's now 26. So 20 years ago, I was singing this song with his kids. Well, what about, I mean, obviously there's something going on that this has just now become such a, such an incredible hit. I mean, this week it's on the Billboard Top 40 chart. I mean, what 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 is the appeal of this to you? Is there an appeal? I think, I think that, no, it was a cute song to sing with a bunch of six-year-olds. Um, I think it kind of got that game style, you know, appeal. Um, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, th- thanks for calling. I, I guess I'm I, again. I'm I am I'm swamped with emails and uh, texts on this. There is a hand motion dance that goes along with it. My two year old in daycare class love it. We're going to have to learn that. Jeff, wait until you are singing it later this week. My kids probably have a thousand or more of those million views. Um, okay, if Jimi Hendrix wasn't dead now, he'd be dead after hearing that. Ah, what can you say? What, oh, and Greg Matzik, who's coming up on Wisconsin Afternoon News, he's doing the Baby Shark dance as we speak. 255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.